0: Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Rebecca. How are you? Doing all right.
1: It's
0: (laughs) sunny again. (laughs) And yet not too hot Have you ever wondered why we are called History 21, the podcast?
1: No, because I made the decision with you. But for the sake of the podcast, yes, Sarah, why are we called History 21, the podcast?
0: I'm so glad you said that. We're called History 21 because there are 21 cities, well, 20 cities and a township in our county And it's our job to tell the history and stories of all of those
1: places. So we're the Anoka County Historical Society because we cover the county. An obvious name. We could be Rabbits Are Us, but we decided to go with Anoka County Historical Society. With us
0: telling the story of 21 cities, that's a lot of history to get through and to try to manage. And so we are so thankful that other history-minded people in the different cities are on the case as well. More people come into the table. Uh, People might not know that there is also a Blaine Historical Society that is concentrating on just the history of the city Blaine.
1: Yeah, it's a real sign of health uh, to know that there's other people than just the three full-time people we have at ACHS looking out for the county's history because per capita we don't have a shot at keeping the history going if it's just the three of us so yay for other organizations
0: minnesota is awesome all 87 counties in the state have historical societies in some fashion and how cool would it be if all of the cities in minnesota had one as well
1: you hear that anoka county there's your goal Ah. But
0: today we're highlighting Blaine Historical Society because they've done something amazingly
1: cool. Rebecca, tell us a little bit. Why, thank you, Sarah. Really often history becomes a passion project for people. So whether it's a family genealogy project or researching a particular piece of land you happen to live on, these hobbies really bring joy. And in pursuit of the facts, sometimes, you know, long, long hidden facts, they get turned up. There's a real sense of triumph when you discover the secret or just put together the pieces of the puzzle and suddenly the story makes sense. Every once in a while, these small projects add up and it becomes obvious they're part of a larger story, which is exactly what happened with Orville and Karen when they were researching Blaine. I've worked at the History Center now for over six years and during that time, I've watched them chase funding and facts And some days I honestly didn't know if they would get the project done. But when the layout started and the proofing was done and suddenly the phone call came that they had the printed copies in hand, it was amazing to watch this dream become reality. And I know that you're going to love the joy in Orville's voice as he shares some of his favorite stories on this podcast.
0: Well, let's hear Orville from the Blaine Historical Society Tell us all about it.
1: Hey, Orville, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, thanks, Rebecca. I'm excited to be here.
1: (laughs) It's always fun to talk to you outside of board meetings. (laughs) Indeed. I'm curious. I know that you love Blaine because you wrote this book and everything's all bling, 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 bling in your world, but you didn't grow up in Blaine. So why the heck? have you developed this love of the city?
2: You know, I grew up in Northern Minnesota and moved to Blaine when I went to college and moved with my mom and my sister. We pretty much lived in Blaine because we could afford a house in Blaine. Uh, So I didn't come here because I had any connection, but I've really grown into loving Blaine because I've dug into the stories. Uh, I, I got recruited into the Historical Society a long time ago and started learning the stories and I just got hooked. When you dig into a story and you get to know something about the people uh, or the places, and, and you then dig into another story and then another story, and then you find that the third or fourth story refers back to the people in the first story that Blaine, especially in the early days, was a small place. And so lots of these people are interconnected.
1: I love the idea of history being interconnected and how one story begets the next story instead of it just being a bunch of dates that you have to memorize a timeline.
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and those interconnections happen in places where you don't expect. Uh, it, it, kind of the example is... Uh, is uh, the Gottwald, Uh, Amanda and Albert Gottwald were some pioneer farmers. And great, we have a great story about them in the book. We have their wedding picture. And then we have a picture of them 30 or 40 years later on their farm. And and that's a good story in and of itself. But Amanda Gottwald was the brother of Charles Nelson. And Charles Nelson uh, was the cloverleaf dairy farm. You know, cloverleaf is a big name, you know, it's on a parkway. I mean, it's a big part of Blaine's history, uh, but uh, the Cloverleaf and Amanda Gottwald family are are deeply connected, and you wouldn't know that on the surface.
1: Yeah, I bet a lot of people wouldn't realize that the Cloverleaf Parkway was named not because it looks like a cloverleaf.
2: It ran right through what was Cloverleaf Dairy.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
2: I actually live in that neighborhood, so my my house is on part of the old Cloverleaf Dairy. Uh, so all the plat names are Cloverleaf Park or Cloverleaf something in, in the in the name of the of the parcels. Uh, but those were platted out into uh, houses and townhouses in the in the late '70s and the early '80s.
1: So when we think of Blaine growing through time, you know it was originally agriculture land. So a lot of people have this, there's no history in Blaine and it's just sod farms and trailer parks is what I hear a lot. What do you say to
2: those folks? You know, we heard that a lot when we were starting the historical society and as we've done the work on the book. When people say that, it's meant dismissively. But this is our history, that the sod farms really only came about because most of Blaine was agricultural in terms of traditional, you know, farms. And then it grew into a lot of vegetable farming because there was a lot of land in Blaine that wasn't occupied. So there were massive vegetable as well as animal farms. And those became unprofitable. But sod became very profitable as the suburbs grew. And they're, they're mostly gone now. Uh, but for a long time, there were lots and lots of sod farms. Same deal with manufactured housing communities. Again, people dismiss them with the term trailer park. There are four manufactured housing communities in Blaine. And that was because when they came, when they were formed, Blaine was the frontier. There was a lot of open space and it was flat. And so they were easy to put on uh, and nobody else wanted them. Those communities got... Uh, rooted in Blaine and they were really they're about affordable housing they still are those are parts of our history that we need to embrace and not uh not be snooty about and not uh, you know count out Uh, those are people and places that are part of what make us what we are in Blaine
1: well and it's cool to be the starting place for people I mean that's an economic asset
2: You know, and it's not a lot different, you know, Blaine is a bedroom community. Uh, There there are lots of people over time who've gotten their start in Blaine. Affordable housing, it was part of my story. Uh, You came here because you could afford to live here. And that's why Blaine is one of the, the, is the largest city in Anoka County right now.
1: I'm curious, when we're talking about Blaine being the, the starting place for people, one of the stories in the book is about Greenberry Chambers and how he got his start here. But my understanding is that you unearthed a few tidbits around that that might've busted up some legends and myths.
2: We did. Uh, in fact, there's some people who are pretty mad at me and, 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 and Karen who we, we did most of the work on the book together. Traditional lore says that Greenberry Chambers was the first permanent resident of Blaine. I'm a political science a history person and that qualification, permanent resident always kind of bugged me. Well, we dug into it and the story of Greenberry Chambers is fantastic but he wasn't the first permanent resident. Uh, and that's what we debunked that. We debunked, we debunked that right at Anoka County Historical Society. There are all uh, estate state uh, probate records in, in the history center
3: And we just went to the
2: history center and pulled that one up Uh, and we discovered that uh, uh, there's actually, we're not quite sure who the first real resident was. It was either a fellow named Andrew Moore, who was in the Southeast part of Blaine or Philip Letty, who was in the Southwest part of Blaine, but it wasn't Greenberry Chambers. Uh, Greenberry Chambers was an enslaved person in Kentucky. He ended up being part of the Union Army, got injured. Um, after the war, he had to find his wife. He had to find his, three of his five children. Uh, he never did find two of his children. And they got on a riverboat and came to St. Paul and then eventually to Anoka County. And they had a, a farmstead in Anoka County. And so that that's romantic and exciting and interesting particularly in a community that doesn't have a whole lot then particularly of racial and ethnic diversity, something to hang your hat on and be proud of. Right. Except that it's not true that as far as we can tell. And so people are mad about that because we've debunked a really cool story. I don't think it lessens the impact of the story.
1: Yeah. Cause he was still here. He, he's still, I mean, his story still yeah.
2: exists. His story goes beyond Inoka County as well. You know, he was a farmer for a long time. He actually had his farm foreclosed on and had to move to another uh, place in Anoka County and then eventually became a porter on the railroad and lived in St. Paul. You know, he died. He's buried in Oakland Cemetery in St. Paul. And we've actually visited his grave, which was really kind of cool. Uh, his, his wife is buried there and his daughter is buried there. And they have little squares of marble as grave markers that have been worn away over time in the elements. Uh, But someone, I don't know who, uh, alerted the military about Greenberry Chambers service. And so the government will put a a new grave marker in place. And so they did that. So he has a, a bronze sort of marker. There's a picture of it in the book. So it's a modern gravestone. So we could see it was really him and find it. And it was really cool.
1: I think that's amazing. And I think we had been talking before about how he enlisted into the military to begin with. Mm-hmm. And you you were saying about the language that's used in history versus the reality of
2: what was going on. And I, I find that fascinating what you are saying about that. Well, and not only that, it, the language changes and our understanding changes because history isn't linear and it's never finished. We've seen uh, some things written about Greenberry Chambers about how he enlisted in the military. He didn't enlist at all. He was an enslaved person. His owner, and I hate to use that term, his owner basically sold him to the to the Union Army. We have the papers. So He didn't choose, he didn't have any choice. He was sent, sold, use a language that you wanna use, but it wasn't a passive act. And it wasn't an act that he had choice on. He was pushed into the military. Uh, Frank Chambers, quote unquote, owned him uh, and received money for sending him into the army. Uh, Now he did get freedom after the war, but, and that was part of the agreement, but also you gotta hope the union wins for that to come true. So it's, it's, it's complicated and it's not, it's just not simple and it's, we have to be careful not to use the sanitized version because it doesn't tell the whole story and it actually demeans his story, I think, if we don't use the right terms.
1: I think history is really interesting for that, that it, like you said, it's never done and the lenses are always changing. And in some ways we can use the modern day lens and judge the past. And in other ways we have to maintain the past lens to see why and how people did what they did. And it gets really complicated.
2: One other part, there's so much on Greenberry Chambers, but there's one part I really want to share, Rebecca. Uh, we have a letter that was written. Greenberg Chambers was illiterate. We actually have a document uh, in the 1880s when he applied for a pension uh, that was filled out. And there's an X and it says his mark because he couldn't write. But that's the close, one of the closest things we have. We don't have that actual document. We have a copy of that document. But it's the closest we have to something he touched, the other thing that we have is a letter that was written when he was in the, in the military hospital uh, to his wife, Lottie. And it's heartbreaking, but I, I really wanna share this because this talks about his situation of being injured. It talks about the situation in the 1860s when communication you know, took a long time and was not certain. Uh, so we have this letter that someone else wrote and we've transcribed it. It says, dear wife, I received your final welcome letter of the 28th on the third of this month, and I was glad to hear from you and hear that you are well. I'm better than I have been and was well enough to work in the dining room. I got your letter with a lock of hair and $1, and I'm, and I'm glad and sorry. And I was afraid to open your letter for I did not know that you were, if you was dead. You know, in an age of instant communication where you would know what's going on and maybe have several interactions with your loved ones in a day, you know, he didn't know what was up with his wife. He almost died. What's to say that his wife hadn't died and maybe he'd heard something. And it's just, you read that, there's more to it. Uh, Yeah, he says, I hope this will find you well, doing well and praying as I dreamed you was. I dreamed of you. I hope this finds you well and doing well. Again, repetition, this is a stream of consciousness that was written down. Uh, you know, he was separated. And again, a person who didn't, who was not a free person. So there's just Aww. a lot, a lot to read between the lines there.
1: And I think the diaries and letters are such a valuable part of history because they are the actual thoughts of the people. It's mm-hmm. not sanitized. It's not someone else's version Mm -hmm. and it's certainly not just the census record
2: yep absolutely
1: did you find any other letters and diaries that you put into the book
2: we didn't find a lot they may well be out there we had limits on what we could do and how much research but uh there are some other what you a historian might call a primary document that were fun that maybe weren't letters and diaries um One of my other favorite parts of the book is uh, the Wall and the Adi families have some really deep roots in in Blaine. And we have uh, a photo and the uh, newspaper account of the wedding of Charles and Jesse Adi from 1894. And it's one of those fantastic articles that talks about what the bride wore and what the bridesmaids wore and uh, what the wedding presents were, and that they had the ceremony and then a little lunch. And then later on, they had a big farm supper. Uh, and it tells, the, uh, it tells the story, but it, we actually have the clipping or a, a, an image of the clipping. Uh, and, and I love the, uh, the language of the time. In fact, they said at about eight o'clock, the wedding supper, a bountiful feast contain, consisting of oyster soup, baked beans, pickles, cheese, relishes, rolls, tea, and coffee with pie and cake of all kinds was served to 60 hearty, happy people who enjoyed the hospitality of the host and hostess to the full. Altogether, a more thoroughly jolly, disposed-to-be-pleased company was never seen in old Blaine. May it be a symbol of the wedded life of Mr. and Mrs. Carl Audie. That's awesome. We don't write that way anymore. Uh, so it's not maybe a diary exactly, but it, you know, it really gives you some insight on what happened on their wedding day and that we have their wedding picture uh, in, in the book is really fun.
1: Yeah, you can keep the oyster soup as well, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Right, it's probably delicacy of the day, but uh, not so much today.
1: In the book, as people are reading through this, which, by the way, they can go find on the Blaine historical website.
2: They can Blainehistory.org. We have uh, you can bu- uh, buy the book with PayPal. We have a little video that outlines the book. Uh, so we'd be happy to have you have folks go there and check it out.
1: What else can people find in the book as now they're paging through it?
2: There's a lot of stories about some of the early, we call them pioneer settlers. There's stories about places. Some of them are long gone. Some of them are still here. We have a lot about Northtown. We have the story of Lexington Avenue, which uh, started as something called the L grade. And it was a private road. Uh, there's a fun story there. We have a lot of maps in different snapshots in time of who owned what land and how the, how the city was settled in The 1880s, and the 1930s, and the 1970s. uh You know, municipal services, fire and police, housing developments. We've got a lot in here.
1: And even with all of the 200 and some odd pages that you've got in this book, there wasn't room for everything, right? What are What are some of the regrets that you have that you just couldn't fit in the book, or that you just overlooked, or something that just couldn't get in?
2: You know. Well, first of all, I wish we had more time. We only spent 11 years on this book, (laughs) off and on, of course. It wasn't 11 years of of constant slog. We did set it down for for long periods, but it took us 11 years from start to publish. Uh, So I wish we had more time and more people to find the stories. But also there are some things that we goofed on. Uh, There's not a lot of racial and ethnic diversity in the book outside of Greenberry Chambers. Some of that is that it, it doesn't just, those things didn't rise on their own and we didn't have the time and resources once you're about nine years into the book. So I know the stories are out there, we just didn't have them and, and I regret that. Uh, we joke about a second book, but we don't know if we have that in us just yet. But though there's still stories out there that need to be told, certainly around different peoples, uh, But a great example is we have, it's not deep, but we've kind of talked about places of worship and churches in Blaine. Uh, Those stories were hard to track down. We did reach out to the churches and most of them did not really respond to us. Uh, But one place that we missed, there's a Buddhist temple in Blaine right next to a church, in fact, and we didn't mention it In fact, if you drove by it, you might not notice it because it's set back and there's a lot of trees, but we didn't think about it either, and we should have. So there are definitely, this is not a complete history, not that such a thing exists anyway, but uh, there are things we missed, and I wish we, I would do slightly differently if I could do it again.
1: That's a great example of the weight of being a story keeper, and the lens that you have to look through and the, the, the selection, you know, the power that you have in publishing a book that will be kept as an
2: authoritative document down the road. You never quite know which, what you're going to get. Is it going to hide the story, hide other stories or is it going to bring other stories forward? You don't know that until you're on the trail.
1: So if people wanted to add some potato chips to your bag, Could they just send you an email? Could they get in touch?
2: Our historical society is still working. So even if it's not in a book, the best way to do that is to let us know you have a story. Just go to the website. There's a contact form where you can reach out to us and then we can start a conversation.
1: Oh, that sounds great. We'll put that in the show notes for the podcast too. Great. Orville, I can picture you at night taking your book to bed (laughs) <laughs> and reading through it one more time. What are the dog-eared pages? What are those stories that you
2: just can't get enough of? Radisson Farm is one of my favorite stories. Uh, it's a long one. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, there's a starts with a fellow named Albert Johnson and his partner named Parker. And they had a horse farm. And Johnson was this old uh of a Scrooge type he was a businessman in downtown Minneapolis he died in his office Uh, when he died he left his estate to his cousin named Edna Dickerson who ran a court reporting school in Chicago and he must have really liked her thought a lot of her because his estate was over a million dollars in those days in the 18 in, in the late 1800s she came to Minneapolis his brother sued saying he was crazy. She had to go to court, got a lawyer. She won, she got the estate. And not long after she married her lawyer, <laughs> uh, which is probably a great story in and of itself. Uh, and the city fathers in Minneapolis uh, went, uh, went to the, the new couple and convinced them to invest Edna's uh, inheritance into building a hotel because the city needed a a first-class hotel. and so they did, they called it the Hotel Radisson uh, because of the Explorer, of course. Uh, So they ran the hotel for about 30 years. They lost it in the depression uh, because they were not very good innkeepers and they had overspent when they built it in the first place. Uh, But the little known part of this is they had the farm, the horse farm in Blaine ended up growing vegetables for the restaurant, for the flame room restaurant, which was a famous restaurant in its day. And so they called it the Radisson farm because it was part of their Radisson hotel empire. The uh,
1: the farm to table
2: at its best. It really was before that was a thing. After they lost the hotel, uh, the local Coca-Cola bottler bought the hotel ran it for a few years, took on a junior partner named Curtis Carlson. After a few years, Kurt Carlson bought out the his partner and founded a hotel empire. That was- Not you know, that was, we've Nito, ever heard there, about no that. Shell. There you right? go. So it has a deep origin story in Blaine, which people wouldn't think about. The farm is long gone. Uh, it was uh, sold to a, uh, a fellow farmer, uh, who raised his family on it we have a lot of we have diagrams we have pictures of the farm buildings raised his family on it uh, uh and then the the mac took the farm through eminent domain to expand the airport so the the farmstead is right next to the current city hall uh, you can even see some of the tree breaks that are still there hmm. uh, from the farm Uh, But uh, now it's part of the golf course, actually. So that's uh, actually to the uh, consternation of the family feels that situation pretty keenly that they that their farm was taken from them. But that was the Radisson Farm right on Radisson Road. It's at Radisson and 105th.
1: All these things just come together. I'll never drive through Blaine the same way again.
2: No, I love that story. I love the Radisson Farm story. I love the Greenberry Chambers story. Northtown is so cool. Well, it's not cool anymore, but it was so cool when it was built. Uh, we, we got into the Northtown archives and they shared a lot of, of things with us. Uh, it's had several looks over the years. One of the pieces that I came to them with when we looked at the archive and I said, do you have any pictures of the aquariums? Because when I was a little boy, my aunt would take me to Northtown Mall and we'd go look at the fish. And they, they said, you know, everybody asks that, but we don't have any pictures. None? Yes, so guess, guess what? I found one, ah. I, I found a little slide, you know, in a, in a little corner of a little document and we blew it up, it's, it's a pretty decent quality image. Uh, so there's a picture of the aquariums, there was kind of an, a, a sunken area in front of what's now Best Buy that's that that they had aquariums and little little sunken garden areas to you know with benches there's big stories there's little short stories about families uh or you know you know and great pictures we have about 250 pictures in the book so I love I love them all but those are some of the ones I love the most
1: that's awesome. I, everybody go out and grab a copy and enjoy it. Drop your own stories to Orville and Karen and build up the second edition because you know he's got retirement to fill up here, so.
2: <laughs> and and I, I have to give a major, major shout out to Karen. Karen Klinkenberg uh, and I did most of the work on this book together. We had some help from other folks as well, but Karen did most of the writing. I did some editing. I did a lot of work with the photos and and a lot of the uh, a lot of the processing and a lot of the uh, logistics. But Karen wrote, I'd say eighty five percent of all the words. She's just an unsung hero who needs to be sung.
1: Orville, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and talking about the book. I really appreciate your time.
2: Thanks for uh, for letting us share it.
1: We'll talk to you next time.
3: Read all about it in the Anoka County Library Minute. Welcome to the Anoka County Library Minute. I'm Lydia Podoff. I'm an adult services librarian at the Anoka County Library at Northtown, and I'm your new library voice on the podcast. If you enjoyed hearing about Northtown Mall, we have Dayton's, a Twin Cities institution by Crystal Liebrich. It details the history of the Twin Cities storied department store, From its earliest days over a century ago to the stuff of fond local memories today, there's a chapter describing the significant role Dayton's played as the anchor merchant at Southdale in the design of the regional shopping mall. It includes a listing of every Christmas show held at the eighth floor auditorium in downtown Minneapolis, photos of the Christmas window displays downtown, and a brief history of the legendary oval room home for generations to some of the finest women's fashion in the five-state area. If you'd like to explore the natural world in Blaine, we have a field guide to the natural world of the Twin Cities by John Moriarty. This handy pocket guide to the ecosystems of the Twin Cities includes sections on Bunker Hills Regional Park, Carlos Avery Wildlife Management Area, Helen Allison Savannah Scientific and Natural Area, Coon Rapids Dam Regional Park, and Elm Creek Park Reserve. It includes extensive photography taken by Sia St. Clair, who was the director of the Springbrook Nature Center in Fridley for 35 years until his retirement in 2013. Finally, if you'd like to learn more about the architecture in Blaine, and you enjoyed hearing about mobile homes in Blaine, we have The Ranch House by Alan Hess. The ranch housing style, often called the Rambler style, was the most popular housing floor plan built in Blaine in the 1950s and 1960s. Indeed, it was the most popular housing style built in most suburbs in the United States back then due to its practicality and affordability. This book covers the evolution of the architecture in the American Southwest to include the features we instantly recognize to be the Rambler, a single floor structure with an open floor plan, blending living and dining rooms, a broad front lawn in front of the long side of the house facing the street, and the house forming a wall to create a private backyard. We also have multiple copies of Forward, The Hidden History of Living, the topic of this podcast. You can check out these and other materials at the Anoka County Library. Thank you get those library cards and reserve your copy today.
0: Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anoka History.org. I was around the museum when Orville came in a few times and was getting down into things and trying to figure out different stories and pieces for the book, which is officially called Forward: The Hidden History of Blaine. And if you want to buy your own copy, uh, you can find it on their website, blainhistory.org. Or we have some uh, copies in our gift shop here at the museum that we are selling on behalf of the Blaine Historical Society.
1: So while you're here looking at exhibits, you could pick up a copy of Blaine?
0: Get a book about Blaine, get a book about Anoka
1: County, learn all the things.
0: Christmas is coming. And other things are coming up too. Wait, what? even before Christmas. So we do the podcast every couple of weeks here, but on top of that, we're also doing events this summer. In just a couple of weeks, we are going to be at the Now Then Threshing Show in Now Then, hanging out at the Little General Store, selling candy and pickles and talking about old stuff and looking at the tractors. So come on out and find us there. We almost bumped into a grand pickle shortage, but you solved that, didn't you? I did. Pickles will be back. We are also getting ready for ghost tours in the fall. So ghost tours are coming back as well, September and October. Uh, And we're currently uh, connecting with all of our guides. And if you want to be a new guide, just send us a line. We'd love to have you join the ghost team. Team ghost. We have grand plans for future episodes so be sure to subscribe and we'll see you next time sounds good thanks for listening guys if you have a question want to visit our show notes page for each episode or would like to share your own story go to anokacountyhistory.org help history 21 the podcast reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider we're all over social media twitter facebook and instagram for all those who scroll by And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, The Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future.